It's now widely recognized that a small proportion of patients with complex, high-cost conditions account for a large proportion of U.S. healthcare spending. In an effort to improve care while reducing costs, some healthcare organizations have turned to new, more focused and intensive ways of managing care. But these complex care management, or CCM, approaches face many obstacles in our current system. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Clemens Hong, a primary care physician and health services researcher at Massachusetts General Hospital and an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Hong has co-authored a perspective article on promoting the adoption of complex care management. Dr. Hong, CCM is focused on the small proportion of patients who account for a majority of healthcare expenditures. So can you start by describing these patients? What kinds of conditions do they tend to have? And are there social and environmental factors that contribute to making their care complex? Yes. The patients we're talking about here are some of the most complex patients that we care for in our respective delivery system. They're sick. And rather than having a very specific condition, although we can talk specific conditions, then they tend to have multiple chronic illnesses that interplay with each other and create increased complexity. They often have overlaying behavioral health issues, whether they be serious mental illness or more moderate mental illness that affects their ability to manage other conditions, such as diabetes or their heart failure. They often face many socioeconomic challenges. So they require an attention because they can either be incredibly poorly engaged with the system despite all of these issues that they face with their health, or they could be seeing multiple specialists and um, going in and out of our hospitals with the overwhelming complexity there. And they face many barriers to care. Some of them have trouble getting to the clinic because of a number of conditions. They have complexity in their homes that make it difficult to manage their conditions or learn about their conditions. And many of these folks really have a lot of trouble understanding the disease or the changes to their medications because of the overwhelming complexity that they have from day to day. So I think that gives you a picture. And under the traditional fee-for-service system in the United States, how have these patients been dealt with? I think when you look at the types of patients that we're talking about here, the fee-for-service system pays predominantly based on a set of discrete services. So they provide a payment for a discrete service provided, whether that service be a visit to the doctor, a hospitalization, or a procedure. And it tends to promote volume over efficiency. And so these patients, as they touch the system in the ways that they do, generate revenue for the health system under the fee-for-service payment system. So if they get hospitalized, and many of these folks get hospitalized over and over again, it generates revenue for hospital-based delivery systems. Each time they get admitted, they receive a payment for that. The same thing could be said for um, outpatient visits and such. You say in your article that evidence supports the use of specially trained CCM teams. What's the typical makeup of such a team, and how is it trained? I think the specially trained teams are incredibly variable, and in many respects, the team that you select or the sort of complement of resources that you pull together to provide the care really has to be tailored to the populations that you're targeting or that you're interested in improving the care of. And so when you look at a Medicaid population versus a commercially insured population versus Medicare population, you're looking at very different issues potentially. And so the complement of providers may be different. There in the Medicare Care Coordination Demonstration Program that I was a part of as a Mass General Physician, we had two nurse care managers in the practice that worked with other central support people such as resource specialists and social workers that supported the nurses. And because these patients are Medicare patients with many medical issues in many respects, the nurse may be the appropriate person there. In a Medicaid-focused program, you might see a different complement of people, perhaps more of a social worker dominant model, or maybe even start to see 
people who are able to provide a level of cultural concordance, such as a community health worker who's been trained extensively or another community member trained extensively to be a touch point on the care management team for these complex patients. But generally, when you look across the country, you're looking at models that include nurses as the primary care manager and the current sort of versions that are prevalent out there. Clearly, providers who are reimbursed through contracts that hold them accountable for the cost of care have an incentive to implement a CCM system. So to what extent are these new payment models working to promote the use of CCM? I think there's different models where providers would be held accountable for the cost of care. I think that when you look at the Pioneer ACO demonstrations and some of the state-led integrated care organization demonstrations with dual-eligible populations, to give you two examples, you're looking at a global payment approach where the provider receives a payment to cover the total costs of care for a patient in any given time frame, whether it be on a per-member-per-month basis or per-person-per-year basis. This is really the strongest driver for complex care management because they're accountable for all the costs, the extent that they're able to reduce the utilization of care, unnecessary utilization. They're able to keep the savings. Other types of models that are out there are shared savings contracts in which the provider may not be given a payment for the total cost of care, but may be given an opportunity to share in the savings and perhaps some of the downside risk if they don't achieve those savings in a subpopulation or selected population of patients. But really, these two sort of approaches at the provider level are a little bit limited and there's many providers, particularly small and medium-sized providers, that are really either unwilling or unable because they're not able to address the risk there to commit to these types of payment models. So the third sort of model that holds providers somewhat accountable for an aspect of the cost of care is a per-person-per-month complex care management fee. And, and this is what we talk about in our perspective as an option that may really increase maybe a much more generalizable payment approach in that some of these small practices could receive a care management fee to cover the costs of their complex care management programs or their approaches. And then they would have the opportunity in the ideal setting to share in some of the savings as well. And But it's critical that these savings would have to be enough to offset potential losses from reduced utilization. So if it's a hospital-based program, to the extent that you can reduce hospital utilization, the savings would have to be enough to offset those losses. I think the big challenge here is not just to hold providers accountable, but to set the payment rates in the right place to allow payers to generate a savings, but also provide enough funding up front right, for the programs to provide the intensive sort of multidisciplinary support, the complex care management support that's necessary to really reduce the hospitalizations and for these organizations that provide it to remain financially viable. And I think this sweet spot is hard to find. It's a challenge. You alluded to obstacles to introducing these programs. And in your article, you list poor integration with behavioral health care providers, the small size and limited resources of many primary care practices, differences from payer to payer, and overall resistance to change. Given these barriers, where would you begin if you were designing a new CCM program? It's a challenging question, but I think it would depend a lot on the context. I want to start with that caveat. But that said, I think the focus here, you know, with the disintegration that exists, and you have to take into account that these patients, because of their overwhelming complexity, both from the medical, behavioral health, and social at the socioeconomic levels, and they require services across the spectrum. And so really what you want to start from a base of is to really develop coordination between providers that serve these patients. And I think that would be sort of the key starting point. So integrated delivery systems are really well positioned to do some of this, but they still must develop relationships as well. So to take the behavioral health example, 
some integrated delivery systems may not have very strong behavioral health. Some of those services may be available more in the community. And so I think the capacity to engage those providers as well in a coordinated fashion to deliver care to these patients is going to be critical. I think small and medium practices face additional challenges, and I think in those types of contexts, there's potentially different solutions. I think there's general in many of these practices, particularly rural settings, you see a significant lack of resources, specialty care, a relative isolation of practice. And they have, because they're small and they don't have a lot of resources to invest in complex care management programs or expertise in complex care management or the know-how sort of how to do this. And they may even have insufficient volume to justify complex care management staff. And so I think these challenges, you would take a different approach in these entities. You may have to connect them to larger integrated delivery systems to provide the specialty care. You may need to think outside of the practice, um, thinking more regionally in terms of how you can create incentives to share key resources, care management resources across practices, and, and in doing so, achieve some of the economy scales that would reduce the cost for these individual practices. So I think the approach you would take would be very different, but the focus has always got to be on how do you bring the entities that provide care together and coordinate that care for these patients. You acknowledge in your article that we still have a lot to learn about best practices for complex care management how to identify the patients who would benefit, how to risk stratify them, how to engage them in such a program. Given that, what kind of research is being done to explore these questions? We can start a little bit with some of the best practice work that we've done. In a Commonwealth Fund report that's going to be timed with this New England Journal perspective, we report on lessons learned from in-depth interviews that we performed with program leaders and care managers in 18 of these successful programs. And I think a lot of this starts with sort of identifying what some of the best practices are there. I think in the current environment with health reform, there's a lot of experimentation or innovation going on currently in the space, and there's opportunities to really study those programs, glean the things that work, and then to perhaps study them more rigorously. I think in the realm of delivery, there's a lot to be learned, both in terms of developing greater evidence, and there is some evidence, but increasing evidence for net savings, for instance, which would really accelerate the adoption of complex care management programs. There's also a need to really sort of figure out where to start here and what are some of the things that work. I think the one particular area is risk prediction and risk stratification. I think this is a very hot area in many respects, I think, with sort of onset of quote-unquote big data and the increasingly available data, um, both at the health systems level and really the research that's being done in collecting patient-reported outcomes in novel and interesting ways, will provide a ton of data on the back end that can be leveraged to really enhance the current risk prediction approaches. It's still yet to be determined what the effects of this are going to be on our capacity to identify the complex patients, and I think there will always be a need for some qualitative piece in terms of having the providers and clinicians weigh in on that. But I think all of those realms, from the very quantitative, heavy risk prediction model development using the enhanced data, as well as the approaches to which these risk prediction approaches are implemented in practice and how the qualitative assessments of clinicians are added to that to really hone in on a population that's both high risk in the future, likely to be sort of high cost and have poor health outcomes, but also to be able to identify those that are going to be most impactable by the types of interventions that are learned from these best practices and the studies that stem from those. The final question, you're a primary care physician. How do you currently care for patients with complex, high-cost conditions, and do you see that approach changing? So I think every primary care physician has a subset of patients that would really fit this realm of multi-comorbidity, very challenging issues in terms of coordinating their care. 
I think currently it depends a lot on the teams that surround us, and this is incredibly variable. There are practices in which the primary care provider is essentially on their own to gather all the information and to follow up with the patient and address their needs between visits through phone calls and other things. And then there's other practices that work in a lot of teams with medical assistants and nurses that are very tightly coordinated and working together to address the needs of these patients. And I think the big difference that you'll see overall nationally, I think, in primary care and what the patient-centered medical home movement has, has begun is a movement towards team-based care. And so I think a lot of the burden of the contact will be distributed amongst multiple team members. And I think that there's going to be immense benefits that come from that because of the different skill sets that the individuals bring. And I think in some of the work that I do, integrating community health workers, which is a lay health worker, a paraprofessional worker onto teams, can demonstrate some of this. They bring a certain cultural concordance with some of these providers in certain spheres and community health center settings and urban underserved settings. And what they're able to do is provide a touch point and build trust with patients in a way that takes me more time to do. And they can reach out between visits and provide a lot of those touches. And so I think we're moving more from this sort of physician-centered office-based approach to one in which you have a much more engaged multidisciplinary approach to the care provided and one that is able to extend beyond the walls of the practice and reach patients where they live, learn, work, and play. Thank you, Dr. Hahn.